With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the King and AI podcast. My name's Kelly Cates and you'll be listening to my dad, uh, Kenny Dalglish, on this podcast and getting his thoughts on football issues about Liverpool, but also about other things as well. And the reason the podcast has come about is because of our family's charity, the Marina Dalglish Appeal, which was set up to raise money to help cancer patients and their families. So if you'd like to support that, that would be fantastic. As much as it's about raising awareness, it is also about the financial support, if possible. If you want to donate, you can go to anfieldindex.com slash MDA, or you can go to the Marina Dalglish Appeal website to find out a little bit more about the charity and the work that they do. It's worth having a read about. It's a really great charity and it's something that's very close to all our hearts. Enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Eddie Gibbs and welcome following a few weeks hiatus to the King and AI podcast here on Anfield Index Pro. Uh, thanks to Kelly as ever for her words at the top of the show there and thanks to those listeners who even during our short time off the air have uh, been making donations to the Marina Dalglish Appeal. Supporting this wonderful charity is the reason Sir Kenny Paul and myself uh, hook up on the Skype line whenever we can to record this show and the uh, pledges made online at anfieldindex.com forward slash MDA by people who listen to the show really do make it all worthwhile. In fact, just just this week, my mum was given the all clear uh, by her doctors following several breast cancer surgeries and uh, anything that charities such as Marina's are doing to, to rid the world of this terrible disease can only be commended and the public support for that is absolutely paramount. So without further ado, let's introduce our headline acts and it's been a few weeks uh, or so since we got together and if anyone there is wondering why uh, our man in Miami, Mr. Paul Dalglish, has uh, had his vocal cords hammered by a bit of a flu bug, I've been tied up with all sorts of work commitments and the other chap who graces us with his presence on this show has been down at Buckingham Palace having Prince Charles thrusting a sword on his shoulders. So uh, first and foremost, how are you Sir Kenny Dalglish? I'm very well, thank you. I'm glad to hear that you don't gauge this as work. <laughs> oh no, this is all pleasure. This is uh, this is what I do for my No, this, this is hard work, speaking to you for an hour. Oh, popcorn as well. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Great news about your mom, Eddie. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, very nice. absolutely superb. She, uh, the doorbell rang at nine o'clock, really late on Thursday for 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 the doorbell ringing, and uh, we we hadn't heard from her all day, so we were fearing the worst. And then we got that good news. She was beaming from a big beaming smile. I've never seen her so happy in a long time. So that was uh, really pleasing. And uh, whilst the course of radiotherapy now awaits, it's uh, it's something that we're all delighted about heading into Christmas as a family. So. Uh, it's a uh, it, breast cancer is horrible, as I said, and uh, you all know you both know about it. I know about it, and it's uh it, it's so good that we can do this little thing together to try and do our bit to uh, to help with that. So we'll need your help anyway. Oh, always, <laughs> especially if anything yeah. goes especially if anything goes wrong with technology. Oh, oh, too. <laughs> that was one of the ones, wasn't it? This week, O2 had had issues this week. Were any, were you inflicted by the O2 curse, Kenny? 
No, I was. I think they're lucky that the the club just changed uh, provider. Um, so that would have been that, that was helpful to everybody that was employed at the club. They had uh, they had another network, and that was that wasn't affected. But anybody could be affected, couldn't they? Yeah. And when you when you hear the stories, it's unbelievable how how dependent you are. Isn't it on on the internet or your phone or whatever? I mean, you don't. I bet you don't know people's landline number now. No, I don't even know my own. I couldn't tell you what my landline number was. We don't have one. No, there we you are. We don't have a landline. Yeah, so I, I think there's a lot of people like that now. You yeah. you don't even have house phones. That's what a landline is. Well, yeah. <laughs> It's very nice of you to confirm that. <laughs> Kenny showing his grasp of the technology. Let's uh, let's rewind a little bit to that uh, experience in at Buckingham Palace. Obviously, you were on, on TV and various uh, various news outlets following that, talking about the humbling experience and things like that. Well, it's been a few weeks now. I'm wondering if it, it's still as humbling or whether uh, you have finally uh, managed to get a few minions to do things like put the bins out or whether it's just the same old routine in the Dalgleish household. Well... I didn't intend to sack myself, so I, I was putting the bins out. If it's no if it's no me, it's a nice woman across the road that does it. But no, there's no there's no difference to to our life. Um, for us on the day, it was fantastic. Paul came over with with Brandy and the twins. Uh, Kelly was there with the two girls, uh, and uh, Lindsay and Nick came with um, their two. Two boys, Taylor and uh, Archie. So we had a fantastic few days, and the it was yeah. You, you still feel humble that you're going down to get something that a lot, lots of other people have done a huge amount uh, and made a huge contribution to you receiving it. But for us, it was a bit on the day. It was more about our families and their family getting together and having a really good laugh and just great to get them all together and see each other. You forgot Lauren? Oh, we, Lauren was there, right? Yeah, yeah, see? You have another I daughter. I never forgot Lauren. Lauren well, you did, but any, you just never... You just she never, never brought any kids with her. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul, She's it was a, still a child. <laughs> Paul, it was a bit of a whistle-stop uh, trip for you, that one, but you must have been very proud of your dad. Uh, it, both getting that award and obviously having your sisters and all your family around you for that for that short period. Yeah, as my dad said, it, it's obviously the the ceremony is. I mean, you you sit and it's nice to to be in there, and it, it's obviously nice to see your dad go up and get the award. But it was, as my dad said, the memories that'll last for forever is seeing all the grandkids together for the first time. You know, it's the first time that all the kids have, have been together. So it was a, it was a great excuse for, to get, to get everybody together. And, and the day was brilliant, wasn't it? The, the, well, the few days oh. was brilliant. It was, it was but, great. I mean, we, you organized but, it really well. No, nothing to do with me. Right. I was your mother. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. organized everything brilliantly. Yeah. No, it was good. It was good. It was. It was nice. That's what it's all about, isn't it? I mean, it was. It was great to see. Great to see you get that, and and obviously it's a, a great day out. But the the whole kind of three days, three four days was just was just brilliant. But you just hope that when you say you're you're a wee bit humble, 
I hope people don't misinterpret that as saying that you're ungrateful. I mean, he's yeah. usually proud to have got given the award, and not just for for our family, but for anybody else that made a contribution towards where we have come to today. So, as I say, it's we're really grateful, humbled, but as I said on the day, a wee bit embarrassed as well. And and Dad, it's one of those, isn't it? Really, for for you, it it the way you are, it's almost you almost share that, don't you? It's almost like a thank you and a. Uh, uh, you know, for all the people that have helped you along the way, you know, throughout and, your, your career, both both as a player and and what you've done off the field as well, it's almost like it's almost as much for for them as it is for you. Yeah, but that's what I said. I just hope yeah. that they can enjoy it as much yeah. as we have because they've made a contribution as well to us. Yeah. And all we have done is do what we thought that you're supposed to do, and hopefully what what your children will do, and that includes you. Is what help people help people if you possibly can? It's Dad, easier to do them a good time than not, a bad time. I'm not, you're not living in the house when you no. get old. I'm not pushing you around in a chair when you get old. You can go to a home. I'm not helping Paul, you. I'm looking forward to that because I'll not remember you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, that, that's the first time actually, Paul. I think you've been included as one of the children and not one of the adopted children. Well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Until he needs something, the you paperwork know? came through there. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think uh, I certainly as a long-time Liverpool supporter, but as, as someone that's also been to places like Dalmarnock, Milton, Govan in my life as well, it's a uh, it's a massive uh, a massive thing to have achieved, and I certainly think you should uh, you should be very honoured. And, and and there's no better recipient for me than uh, than Sir Kenny Dalglish, and it's a uh, our lucky. Uh, our lucky police, if you like to get to hear from you on this podcast and 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 sharing the discussions about Liverpool Football Club, which is what we'll do now. Well, there's a few people I would have put in front of myself who, without being political, I think they they did a huge amount. I mean, when you think what Jock Steen did with Celtic winning the European Cup, everybody lived within 25 miles of Glasgow. You think what Shanks did for Liverpool Football Club, and you think what old Bob did as well with his career. Uh, and I'm no I hope I'm no substitute for them because they felt guilty missing out on those three but if it wasn't for those three they played a huge part in your football then you wouldn't be up there getting it for yourself but footballers and, and fo- footballers and football managers weren't really ever knighted back then were they I think uh, was it Alf Ramsey was probably, well, probably the only one was he Sir Mark Bosby true yeah, that came, but that came, I think, in the nineties, didn't it? it? Was it came after uh, those those greats that you just mentioned had passed? Yeah, but I would have thought, uh, old Bob would still have been there or thereabouts, wouldn't he? Yeah, you should. I mean, that that's a travesty. There's no two ways about it. I mean, like like you say, you don't want to get too political. And we won't go into the the no. ways with all of that, but uh, that that is almost certainly a travesty. I mean, the success that old Bob had was. Second to none, was it? I think no one's no one's even got close to matching what he achieved yet, really. Well, Fergie, Fergie was close with a number of league titles, but all Bob won six out of nine, which is a better percentage, I think. Yeah, nice words, nice words indeed for those uh, legendary uh, legendary managers, and two of them, of course, uh, with our club and have treated our fans to some great some great victories and some great trophies, and hopefully that's uh, that's where we're heading next. So. Uh, 
Let's turn our attention to Liverpool then. And whilst there's been a few matches since we last spoke, I saw you on TV, Kenny, in the stands for both the Merseyside derby and the game at Turf Moor. Uh, there's also been that 4-0 win over Bournemouth. So uh, what have your overall impressions been of these uh, last three matches? Um, I think it's fantastic that they finished uh, this week, top of the league. Um, they've got, it was a fantastic lift going into the game on Tuesday against Napoli and to go to Bournemouth and win 4-0 who up until the last couple of games were going really well uh, lost 3-1 at City held them 1-1 to half time and then lost two goals in the second half to go there and win 4-0 uh, the great result and I think that I think that apart from the European uh, games away this year, I think they've been they've been brilliant. They've been, I think they are where they are on on merit. I think uh, obviously if you if you can go what is it fifteen games now without defeat or whatever it is in the league, then you've got a chance, haven't you? And we've given ourselves a fantastic chance. And that's not to say that you're past the post and you're going to take it for granted that you're going to continue to move forward. But I think it's. Uh, it's I think going to be a fantastic end to this to the the year, the calendar year. We've got we've had a reward for what we've done against Bournemouth and Burnley was a was a tough game, uh, but we ran out winners, and then we go into the next one, which is uh, well next league game. Obviously, Man U at home. Uh, Napoli's going to be a difficult game, but both the place will be absolutely jumping on Tuesday, especially now that we've gone top of the league. And that, Paul, was a result a few hours after our win. We see Man City going down to 2-0 at Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Uh, a few Liverpool fans bound to be uh, heading to work on Monday, beaming from ear to ear. But that really compounds what your dad said there, doesn't it? About the atmosphere that will, uh, will, will be there for Napoli when they arrive on Tuesday. Yeah, and, and European nights at Anfield, as everybody knows, are, are a special occasion. And Tuesday, I think when when the when it's as big a game as as that is, it's, it's really must win game, isn't it? Really. Um, so we the the place I'm sure will be will be lively before the game, and then during the game, the fans they don't need any reminder of what to do. They've proven themselves on enough occasions what to do on a big European night and done exceptionally well, and and uh, can't wait. Can't wait for the game, really, because there's, there's that's the biggest thing I would say that I miss about, well, apart from family, uh, being in being in America is not being able to go to the game, and 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 you know going to the game for a league game is different to the big European nights. You know the big night, the big European nights at Anfield are the are the the pinnacle, aren't they, of of, of games you can go to at, at Anfield, and you know. A, as much as I enjoy watching it, I do have a little bit of a an envious uh, feeling when when I see friends and family at the game and I'm sitting watching it on the TV in America. So, yeah, Anfield's going to be a special place on Tuesday. The uh, 
going back to the uh, going back to some of the games that we've just had, then we'll, we'll look through the three. Uh, obviously, we had that Divokarigi last minute winner on uh, in the Merseyside derby. Uh, Kenny, you were at the game. Did you feel uh, did you feel a winner was still coming, or were you like the rest of us and had kind of cons- even Virgil Van Dijk after he hit the shot had con- kind of consigned themselves to uh, to a nil now? I think as soon as Virgil hit it, he was on his way back to start defending, wasn't he? Yeah. He thought it was going to be a yeah. goal kick. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the goalkeeper had played well. And uh, from Everton's point of view, on the Wednesday night afterwards, he's supposed to have done really well in the match as well. So it's not really affected him. But he, d- he did make a mistake. If he left it, it would probably be a in the top of the net. But for some reason, he's, he's put his hand over the crossbar to try and keep it in. Uh, and it went back and towards the goal obviously off the crossbar and Divock just nodded it in. But I think on the on the whole, I thought Everton played well that night. They had a couple of chances uh, early on um, and we we, we, uh, we got away with it a wee bit. But then again, if you don't take your chances, you're not going to win games and I've never seen anybody win a game that's no scored a goal. So, You've got to score goals to win matches, and although ours was a bit fortunate, Amid had a couple of chances as well. Um, you don't at that moment in time start to analyse again. You just stupidly, or behave stupidly, with getting a wee bit excited because of the result. And there's nothing like winning a game in the last minute. For some reason, it always feels better than what it is if you win four or five. So that night, uh, the result was very well received for the Liverpool fans um, but I think Everton also on reflection can look back and, and take some solace from it that they seem to be playing a lot better than what they have been for a long time You know that I was uh, I, I did the Tactics Weekly podcast now I was saying some of my best memories of of uh, of being a Liverpool fan but, but back in the eighties, when Liverpool and Everton were both were both brilliant, and they were the two best teams in the country, and it was a it was a great time to to be in Liverpool because you know the but the, because of the relationship, there was no animosity between the between the two teams. Really, it was it was much more friendly than what it is now, and. I I I used to love those days when when you know you you could sit you could go to a game at, at Anfield and you could be sat next to an Evertonian and it and it was it was fine you know it was all there wasn't the same kind of I don't know if it, it anger if you like in, in the support or the the same type of rivalry that that there is now but I, I do think that it's I enjoy I enjoy it when Everton are are at a decent level as well. And I was going to ask you, did what was it like playing when Everton and in Liverpool at that time, when when Everton and Liverpool were the the two best teams in in the country? Was it was it fun to be in the city? Was the city vibrant at that time? Well, I think if if you've got a strong team, uh, you're going to be optimistic, aren't you? And yeah. certainly Everton. Everton and Liverpool through the 80s uh, were the two most successful teams in the 
in England at that time. Mm. And I don't think there was a year went by where they never had success either domestically or in, or in Europe. Obviously, Everton won, I think they won the Cup Winners' Cup, yeah. which was, was still a European trophy then. And for us, obviously, we had a European Cup. But I think it... Um, I think the the banter between both sets of fans when we got the first ever Merseyside Cup final, and that was what three years or something after the, or a few years after the the, the Milk Cup final. Mm-hmm. I think when we got that and people were going to the match together, um, one of my abiding memories for that day was a dad walking in with his two wee sons, taking their hands. One was dressed in red and white, and one was dressed in blue and white. Yeah. So and I thought that that's that's what football to me is all about. Yeah, you can obviously your rivals, your competitors, but for me, although football and the result of a football match was important, I don't think it's as important as friendship. And mm. since uh, since he's Liverpool of of uh, continued to to get bigger and bigger, uh, maybe no had the success they had throughout the the seventies and eighties, but. They're bigger and bigger, and, and Everton haven't moved along at the same pace as them. So maybe that's got something to do with it. And mm. um, as I say, I think despite that, I think the Liverpool Everton derby and the rivalry between the fans is a is a lot more placid and more enjoyable than what it is between any other big derby matches in the UK. Mm. So yeah, no, it's it's always great to win but it's always good to have some a wee bit banter as well and yeah. I think the 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 two clubs um, should, should take great credit for the way in general the behaviour at derby matches I remember some of the stories of the the fans coming back from from Wembley when we beat them in the cup final and the the obviously Liverpool supporters were saying you know it's it's difficult you know, it's difficult to stand, go to the match with your mate and then how can you dance about and sing and act stupid when you've won when your mate stood next to you and he's, he's dejected and mm-hmm. crestfallen. They said they'd found that a wee bit difficult. But I think I think that's a bigger that's a bigger problem to have than gone fighting every two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Is there not a story that follows on from that also about the fact that the city had organ- both clubs had organised a bus tour and they were both going to do it regardless of the result in the cup final. Of course, Everton had lost the league with that goal you scored at Chelsea and then they lost the cup final 3-1 to you and their players still had to go on this joint bus tour around the city. Well, they never lost it by a goal, did they? They'd been all in it with a couple of points or something. But, I mean... The goals are relevant. It was what happened throughout the 42 games. And it was organised that we were coming back in the same plane. And we were both obviously going to go in different buses and do a, a joint tour of the city. So, yeah, I think that says something about the people who at that time were running the, the football clubs. Jim Greenwood was in charge at Everton uh, and we had uh, probably the best administrator uh, I've known in a football situation, Peter Peter Robinson, and they were very close, and uh, they had the best interests of everybody at heart, and they thought that would be a good idea. Obviously, it is a great idea until there's a result and there's a loser, 
and it's no very pleasant for the loser to have to endure that. So we were fortunate that we we won and we came back, and that was a great trip for us. But I don't think it was so good for the the people at Everton who had a great season. And if it hadn't been for us, uh, obviously it'd have been a lot better for them. I couldn't see that happening now, Dad. The two teams sharing a play. Oof, I don't think it's changed, hasn't it? Footballs, it was, it's changed football. But the, the back to your original thing, Dad. The um, Everton are that I was quite impressed with Everton in the game. I, I thought they, uh, I thought they looked, they looked half decent. It's, it's probably the best quality that I've seen in a Merseyside derby for for a long time. Uh, from from both teams, I thought it was a real, real good game of football. I thought so. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I'm, I enjoyed it. No, because the last minute equaliser. But you enjoyed watching watching Evan as well. I thought the boy in the middle who they've got in Lonfe Barster did well. Gomez. Gomez. Uh, and I thought in yeah. general uh, it was a it was a decent game. And as I say, people say that sees it. You say that. Like Everton are getting better when you're beating them, but I genuinely, I genuinely think that they are getting better. Yeah, yeah, I agree. On to the oh, good. <laughs> there you go. I love it when we get these agreements. It's always, especially when it occurs about twenty minutes into the show, because it always means the last, uh, the, the second half is always going to be a bit more spicy. <laughs> I'll find something to do. Sure. Well, we're going to talk about Burnley next, and I, I think there'll be more agreement here. But uh, you were at the game, Kenny. Uh, we were watching. Paul was watching on his TV in Miami. I was watching on my TV in Scotland. But when when Burnley scored, let's see. Let's ask you how you felt when Burnley scored to go one nil up. Or obviously in. That second half. Uh, were, were there any fears? I mean, we've seen Liverpool teams capitulate in the past uh, at that point, but this team seems to have a few extra gears. And uh, I, for one, was really delighted when Jurgen stuck with the substitutions that he had planned after Milner equalised. But what were your what were your feelings when Burnley scored? Did you still fancy Liverpool, or were you a bit nervous that this might be where it all comes unstuck? No, um, you're a wee bit nervous, but then when you see the firepower they had on the bench. And I think the other thing that worked in my favour, Millie scored just quite soon after they'd scored. So we weren't there that long in uh, in the game when we were behind. And uh, I think when they, you're sitting there and you're winning 1-0, and it goes one each and you bring on uh, Salah and Firmino, I think it tends to uh, mentally drain the opposition a good bit. So... They came on and they made a contribution. Good free kick. Virgil laid it back. Uh, back-to-back assists. I was two games running. Everton in that one. So he can be quite happy. And Firmino tapped it in. And after, they, front. after, we, got the, after we got in front, there was never... Well, even when we equalised, I don't think there was much of a chance of his no coming away with three points. There was that nervous... Point pool towards the end of that game, uh, where uh, where where Allison kind of scraped one off the post and then set that third goal in motion. But I I can certainly say I don't know about your dad being at the game, but I certainly had a few flutters when that when that set piece was coming across. Yeah, he's a good save, Allison, the yeah. top corner. Yeah, but there wasn't a great deal of power in the head, there was a. There wasn't no. a great power. So and then we went, we did go straight down the pitch and score, but. Uh, 
And in the last minute, Shakiri covered a great bit of ground there to get in amongst it and just tap it in. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the that's the I think that's been a a big, big difference this year is his quality. Alison. I mean he's he's he is, I think, one of the elite goalkeepers in the world. Um and I do think that it's moments like that where you where you really appreciate it. You know, that well, if you think if if you think that that's it goes in in like two minutes from the potential to be two two, and then he starts the the counter attack for you know to change the game to three one. I mean, it's a it's a really momental part a moment in the game. But when you look at the Everton game. He ran, he took the shot free kick. Yeah, yeah. And Trent took it forward and crossed it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree, Dad. It, it, he's, uh, he, as we've said many times, the, the goalkeeper's the one position on the field that can make a whole stadium nervous or it can make a whole stadium calm. And uh, he's just got a real calm presence for everybody. I mean, even when the ball goes back to him, everybody stays calm. You know the the everybody in the stadium, and it he's just a real calm and influence back there. And, and as I say, I think he was vital against. He was vital. No, no, with his feet, but he was yeah. his contribution against Everton was vital. He had the same for Gomez's header. Yeah, he blocked yeah, it blocked the chest when Joe Gomez got it away. Even when Sigerson puts the ball through to Walcott, was it Walcott? And, he, touch. and he, he hits it off him, and it goes out for a goal kick. Yeah. I mean that was that was that won't go down in any stats as a save or what, but it was that was a brilliant piece of goalkeeping. That he's uh, certainly intimidating. You look at him in the. I don't think too many people fancy their chances. Not one past him. What about his header, Dad, against Burnley? Uh, was it no against uh, at the weekend? He Bournemouth. came out. Oh, Bournemouth. When he who was it? He came out and he just absolutely. Smashed them in the air. He comes out from he, he, the he didn't he was just on the edge of his box and he didn't know he didn't know whether he was in his box or out of his box. So instead of using his hands, he headed it. But Daddy, he must have. It was like John Toshik. He came and he just took everything. He took the 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 player and he headed it. It must have gone thirty yards. The header. It was unbelievable. It was as good as you could ever see a centre half head. It was unbelievable. The goalkeepers are normally at that point. They just yeah. take the lot, whoever's yeah. in front of them. Yeah. You don't want yeah. to be there. No, no, you can soon get out of the way. You oh, better yeah. you better to be smart than stupid. Well, I was never that deep anyway. I never went that far. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny, you played obviously with some and coached obviously some of the best uh, goalkeepers in Ray Clements, Bruce Grobler, Pepe Reina. You worked with all of those guys. Uh, how does how does this big Brazilian guy stack up against them? Well, I just I think he's I think the thing you need for a goalkeeper is presence, yeah, as well as your ability, obviously. Um, and this seems to have uh, turned round with the a lot of people place more importance in the goalkeeper's ability to pass the ball than to save it. But um, I would have thought for him he's intimidating when you you come up against him one against one, is uh, reading the situation. His handling and his feet are brilliant, but his you know, the situation is fantastic as well. And uh, I think we've got 
probably the best one in, in the world there at the moment. And for me, it seemed at the time that it was a, a lot of money. Um, but I think you're looking back now and saying it was a bargain. Well, that, that's he, the thing. He has made a he has made a contribution, and he's very honest with me. And he's no looking for business. He's no out trying to create a save. Uh, his concentration is excellent because he doesn't really in a lot of games get that much to do. But his con- his concentration is excellent, and he's really intimidating. And going up against him one on one, I think psychologically you've got you you've got a wee problem. Because I think he's very strong mentally. Yeah, I I said it on the again I mentioned that tactics thing, but I I said you know what do you know what the best thing is that you're saying he's the best in the world, or he could be the best in the world. It, it's been brilliant, hasn't it? We we said we need a centre back, and they go out and they go well who's the best one we can find Van Dyke, uh, and they never messed about trying to sign anybody else. There was no plan B. It was we want Van Dyke and we're going to get. They said we need a goalkeeper. There was no messing about. Who's the best one we can find? And they go out and get they go out and get Allison. So for me, it, it yeah, it's money. But would you not rather spend what it takes to to get the person that you want or the best available than kind of look for a discount price on on somebody who maybe not quite be at the level that that you want? I so think it's bit, a real credit to the club, Dad, that they've gone out and said, you know what, if that's what it costs, we're going to pay because that's who we want. Well, you better put uh, the money you've got into the positions that you need. And if you yeah. can get the best possible one available there, then take them. Yeah. And if there's, if there's no one there, then just be a wee bit patient and maybe need to wait until um, somebody comes up that you do fancy. But I must say the owners, for day one, have been fantastically supportive financially in the transfer market for all the managers, myself included. Um, mm. so they've no changed and the figures for players now the value of players um, is obviously going up incredibly and if we're going to if we're going to bring one in and it's a wee bit more than what you would have expected then you're going to get a bit more than what you expected for the ones going in because I think we've sold quite well as well yeah I mean alright everybody would have loved Louis to stay and They've the love continue to stay, but they never. And and when they did come to the point of selling them, they got fantastic money for them. Yeah, even by Tatoris as well, Dad. Yeah, you know you can. Uh, we we have sold. We have sold well. It's kind of it's kind of funny in some ways. This this it was mainly brought up during Brendan Rodgers' era. Obviously, this transfer committee that was often slated at times. But you look at the work that Michael Edwards and the others are doing at the club and what they've been able to achieve within the transfer market. I listened to another podcast the other day, and they were saying that Jurgen Klopp hardly seems to have had a failure, or probably even hasn't had a failure in his whole time as uh, as Liverpool manager in the transfer market. And that's some going, isn't it, Kenny? To, to for, for for mostly all your signings to come off. Yeah, but. The the trans the transfer committee or whatever they call they're called the lads with Michael Edwards and them they do a fantastic job going out and finding players but the final choice goes to Jurgen as he said when they come in at first or when they were appointed he'll decide who comes in and who who goes um, and the two the two factions have worked very well together 
they, if they've had any argument, they've all been behind closed doors. And the people that have come into the club invariably have done brilliantly for us. So, I mean, they've even gone down to the the, the cheaper end when they brought in, like, Matip and, and Clavin. I mean, they weren't expensive players, were they? So they no. don't mind having a wee dip at that level either. But certainly when they've, gone, when they've gone big, they've gone big. But when you consider you get 145 million allegedly for Coutinho, so you got Van Dyke for half, and the other half went towards the goalkeeper. Yeah. So would you? No, here's my no question: Would you? Would you? Would you take if you had to give up Allison and Van Dyke would, to get Coutinho? Would you do it? No. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it's, and, it's good. And by the way, that's no because Phil's no no valuable and no. we played dead brilliantly for, for Liverpool it's only because you wouldn't want to lose those two exactly yeah 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 no Coutinho's brilliant if, if you're right. offered Coutinho back of course you'd take I him I'd take him back and you'd take yeah. Willie yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's just back. a sign of how things evolve, isn't it? I mean, they, 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 yeah. who, who at the time when when your dad signed Luis Suarez would have thought that well, oh, we're going to be Torres is gone. This is the end of the world. There would have been people thinking that, but those things are quickly forgotten about within the space of uh, space of a few games, and it could be, you could go right back to when your dad himself replaced Kevin Keegan. You know, what I mean, the football evolves and people change. Aye, it does evolve, but. Uh... It's more pleasant when the, the people coming in turn out to be a success. Yeah. yeah. It does, it's not that comfortable when they don't turn out to be successful. And they'll be, no. they'll, football will be littered with stories. There'll be far more of those stories, won't there, than the successful ones that Liverpool have had. Well, well that's their problem, no others. As long as we have happy <laughs> stories, we're okay. <laughs> Let's, that, as long as we can control what we are doing, that's all right. Sure, we don't do you know need last, to control anybody else. Last thing on it, Dad, and something that I learned now in management was when you first start managing, you think it's about, you think, well, I did anyway, and I think it's quite similar for, for a lot of people, but you, you think it's about coaching and management. Uh, but what I'm turned into, what I've found out really is recruitment is the most important thing because I've never seen a manager win with bad players. So no, you can improve you can improve the plays, but you the recruitment piece of of management is absolutely paramount to success. And yeah. go on. Yeah, but you're not gonna you're not gonna win anything with just one entity, are you? No. I mean your players can be good, but if they've not got the right attitude and they're not prepared properly and they're not felt to feel important and They've no got respect for each other. You're not going to, it's, a, it's not an individual it's not. sport. It's a team game. No. So there's no. a lot. There's a lot of things that go into making it, making it um, successful. Yeah. But, um, but just um, when, when I talk about recruitment as well, it's not just about them being good players. It's about them being good people. Yeah. That aren't going to come in and, and cause you problems. And then and, obviously you've got to manage the personalities. But you, it's such. A, it's if the recruitment piece is. That determines whether you're, you're going to be successful as much as how you manage the group of players. I think. Well, it's better to have it's better to have good players than bad players. You've yeah. certainly give yourself a better chance. Well, but you, there's no yeah. just one. There's no just one item that's going to be successful. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. So what's next, Eddie? Well, we need to talk Eddie, about we need getting, to talk about Bournemouth. Eddie, this is getting too pleasant, by the way. <laughs> and I all the same, all the he's same agreed. Agreement. He's agreed again. I know. I feel like my father and son counselling skills are meaning I'm missing out on a whole profession here that I could uh, I could make the day job and have a lot more fun. Hey, is well, the podcast not over yet? Don't worry, <laughs> there's still time. Well, let's see if the next subjects can cause any uh, any contention between uh, father and son Dalglish. Uh, the uh, Bournemouth game, obviously. I see, I see it's so hard when, when everything's going so well, guys, to get you the, you guys disagreeing, because how can you disagree on things when everything's going so well? But anyway, we've still got to talk about Bournemouth. We've still got to take a couple of questions uh, from, from subscribers about those games, and we also have to look ahead to uh, Napoli and Manchester United. So let's do that now. Uh, Bournemouth, uh, Paul, first up. Uh, it was a game that I... I was a little bit nervous, mainly on the fact that I knew there was going to be so much rotation. Uh, but he went back to obviously a stronger lineup. And when that team was announced before kickoff yesterday, I was quite excited. Obviously, I've told you in, in personal messages that we've shared over the past few weeks, I was really looking forward to seeing uh, Fabino and Keita starting in the same team. And we got to see that yesterday. And I thought they both did very well. And of course, a word if Ke- when Kenny comes to speak, if you could, on James Milner and, uh, and that 500th game for him. So first of all, Paul on Bournemouth. Yeah, I mean, it was when you. I, I've said on on another podcast that the uh, I do see the long term. You know, if you look at the age, and you look at the the quality. I, I do see the long term midfield. Uh, if if we if we continue to play with the three as the the preferred formation in, in midfield of Cater, Fabino, and Wijnaldum, and. Um, Obviously, against Bournemouth, it was more of a it was more of a midfield four and Keita playing off the left in almost a box. But I, I do think that um, I would I do think that they both played well and and they're starting to you know they're, they're obviously quality players. But I I do think that we sometimes with players when you bring in a new player because you want it's like having a new toy at Christmas. You sometimes you sometimes want them to be uh, you, I, what I'm basically trying to say is you, you you can sometimes devalue what you've already got and I think that I think that the likes of Milner Henderson have been fantastic for Liverpool uh, for a number of years but when you bring in a new one you sometimes want to see them do well and I think that yes uh, for being Owen and and Cater did well, but as you said, Milner's 500 game scores a goal as well uh, in the game against uh, a game against Burnley. You don't really wanna, you don't really wanna, you don't really wanna miss out on what you've already got, you know, and and devalue what you've already got. But um, I would like to see in the near future the three of them. Playing in in the midfield three with the front three up front as well, just to just to see what that looks like. So I think that'll be pretty exciting with with Fabino in the middle, Cater and, and Wijnaldum either side, and then the front three in front of them. I think that'll be pretty exciting. But it was uh, it was a professional 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 victory, Dad. Would you say? No, I, I think when uh, when you've been go- when it's been going so well, yeah, bringing in new players, it gives them. An opportunity, although the player themselves, once they get in straight away, they need to get used to uh, 
but they're given once. Yeah. And as long as we've got people who are winning games and performing, uh, playing instead of them, then they can be afforded a bit more time to settle in than they could if it wasn't going well. Yeah. So they're coming into a team and if they're training every day and they, can, they see Jordan training and they see J- James Milner training, then mm. what a great example they have to the two of them. Yeah. See any new ones coming in? They're only going to pick up good habits and a great attitude for they two. And if they adopt the same attitude and commitment, then just go a bit more than what you would like. And, and long term, it'll work out better for everybody. Question for you, Dad. Just I'm going off sideways again. When you, when I used to watch a lot of the, the videos and players, and they asked the questions, and one of one they ask is, who's the best trainer? A lot of the players say Jordan Henderson is is fantastic in training. Did you did you see that when when you were manager? Was he was he you know because you mentioned about him and and Milner in training? Did you find that that Jordan was was impressive in training? Is Jordan worked brilliantly in training. Yeah, I mean they've all got to work hard. Yeah, uh, you can't just go and. I mean, every no, I get day, that. You're, you're not going to be there every day. But the yeah. two of them are great examples. To, yeah. I mean, there's Millie. I mean, how many positions has he played for us? Yeah. And and last year, he was probably as good a player as we had. It's like the Kama Sutra. Lots of different What's positions. That? There you go. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> I thought that was a Western. But, <laughs> But if you, uh, as I say, if they're patient, uh, then if we can afford to be patient and it's no effect in the, the results or the, the, the chances of being successful, then it's helpful to everybody. Although just a little bit frustrating for the new boys that come in. Yeah. But long yeah. term, serve them, it will serve them, serve them well to go through a wee bit in apprenticeship. If you're struggling, you get a new player in, they would throw him in straight away. Yeah. Right? And he might struggle along with the rest of the boys. They're going into a team and they can get in whenever Jürgen thinks it's fit for them to go in. They can get into a team that's buzzing, full of confidence and certainly looks as if they're going places. So, yeah. it's, an, it's a fantastic environment for them to be coming through in. Yeah, and there's a hunger. That, I mean, that it, it makes you a little bit Maybe if if you haven't to wait for your chance, it maybe makes you a little bit hungrier to take your opportunity when when you do get it. And you know, it, we've not mentioned it yet, but the best ever start to a a league campaign is nothing. I mean, it's it's an incredible achievement when you think of some of the great teams that we've had. You know, so for for and and you've got to think that Milner, Henderson. You know, cater for being. They've all played the part in that, and Shakiri. Everybody's played the part, and it's uh, well, it's an incredible, incredible achievement. It's it's a little bit more pragmatic than what it's been in the past under Jurgen Klopp, or especially than it was last season. But every single bit, uh, it's it's been more effective uh, based on the results. But also, if you want to go into the statistics of it, Dad, the XG, the expected goal for Liverpool is a little bit lower than what it was. Uh, last year, 
but the 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 goals against expected goals against is so much lower that the difference between the goals against the expected goals against and the expected goals for is bigger this season. So the the level of our performances uh, judged on the expected goal is actually better than it was last at this stage. Paul, all these things are all very well and good, and yeah, maybe hugely educational and helpful for for something. Yeah. But it doesn't win you or lose your game. You I get that, get, but it, the only you get what you deserve from what you put into the game on any yeah. particular day. So I agree with that. I think all, think all it does think is they're all relevant for some way of in some case maybe irrelevant because if you looked at the if you could say, take Man City as an example, yeah, what was the expectancy for them to lose yesterday at Chelsea and no score a goal? They wouldn't have been expected to lose. They wouldn't have been expected not to score a goal. There's only Chelsea no, and but themselves. There's only Chelsea and themselves stopped them for scoring. And uh, that, I mean, against us, we were fortunate because Marez missed a penalty. Yeah. So they think yeah. they're all relevant for a discussion, but they don't. They're only relevant, no. but don't, they don't win you any games. No, the, the, reason, the reason I mentioned those things is it, it's not you don't base your opinion upon them, but you, you use them to, to, uh, to, to quant, to, to basically prove what you see with your eyes is right. So, uh, a lot of people are, a little, you know, there has been, Eddie will, will tell you, you know, you're not big on social media, but on social media, there has been, frustration with some Liverpool fans that the football hasn't been as open and, and as attacking as what it was uh, especially in the second half of last season well and I don't think there'll be too much frustration this morning no no but uh, Eddie Eddie will tell you is that fair Eddie it is but that is, you, you have to remember that we as fans if you like you guys have both worked in the game you, Paul still does I mean you, you see it completely differently because you know what it's like to be a professional footballer you know what it's like to be a manager fans are kind of fans first and foremost probably watch football to be entertained if, if that makes sense and entertainment is not really what it's about it's I mean it is in, in the sense that that's what put bums on seats and that's what puts money into the game but it's all about results at the end of the day. And whilst we might not enjoy the football or enjoy watching some of the games quite as much as we did last year, you can see there's a more pace element to it. I mean, if you want to throw stats into it, look at the second half of some of the games last season where Liverpool went a bit flat. I think Jürgen mentioned that in his press conference yesterday after the game that it's about being good for 90 minutes and we're, we're, we're certainly more effective. It's not all all of one and none of the other now. He's found that bit of balance and surely as professionals, I agree. that's the key thing for, key thing for you I guys. I, I think it would be logical to say, well, we've got a better centre-half since January than what we had before that, and we've certainly got a better goalkeeper, and that's not been disrespectful to anybody that was there last year. So it's logical to think, if you've improved those two positions, we won't be losing as many goals. It's not as if, it's not as if you've gone extra defensive. It's just, just happened, isn't it? I think we've gone a bit more pragmatic, though, Dad. I don't think we're, I don't think we're high pressing as much as we did last year, and leaving ourselves as, as vulnerable if the high press fails. I think, yeah, we're, Paul, I think we're winning the game of patience. I think that what we're saying, I think teams were, 
waiting for Liverpool to attack them to try and hit them in transition. And, and I think what we've done this year is we've said, OK, well, look, we're not going to come out and, and leave ourselves vulnerable. We're going to stay, we're going to stay organised and, and we're going to wait. We're going to wait it out because we do believe but, that we've got enough quality on the pitch to, to take a chance when, the, when that chance presents itself. Well, here's a generalisation. If your weakest point is defensive, what do, you, what do you do? You pile on the attack, don't you? Yeah. So it's logical to think that that may be why last year, if uh, if Jurgen thought maybe we're not as strong defensively as what we could be, so let's try and press higher up the pitch, get it back. Yeah. yeah, it's that old saying, isn't it? The best form of defence is attack. You can see that last year, perhaps, what Kenny's saying, oh, that, the other that, way, that rang true. Ah, the other way is play your strengths. And if you're yeah. the best part of your team's the attack, focus on that. If it's if it's defence, then sit back and, and see if you can catch them a wee bit. Yeah. But both have got to function pretty well for you to be successful, especially playing against teams of the quality of Man City. Chelsea are coming to the four. Tottenham are there. Everton, I think, have improved. Uh, the only one that maybe Arsenal's improved. The only one maybe at the top six is who we play next Sunday. Yeah, we'll talk. But, we'll talk about him shortly. <laughs> I need to ask you about uh, Mo Salah. Obviously, he was the man at the forefront of that uh, that win yesterday at Bournemouth with with three fantastic goals, and certainly, uh, certainly that second and third one shows that. He's really ramming all talk of being a one-season wonder out the window. Now, obviously, we've spoke about this on past shows, and Kenny, I think you were pretty, uh, pretty certain from the start that there was a lot more to come from this guy, and we're seeing that now, aren't we? He is really going up the gears now, as when he's getting these opportunities to play, and we're seeing as Liverpool fans, we can be under no doubt that if we are going to surge and put Man City in this title race right to the end, then we're going to need to see him at that sort of level as we as we did yesterday. Well, no, just him. You're going to have to see a lot of them. Um, but for me, there's, there's never been a doubt about the quality of the players that we have at your disposal. And certainly Mo comes into that. Um, and he's changed a little bit this year. Sometimes, or quite a few times, Jürgen's pushed him through the middle. Uh, and he's changed Firmino. So him and Manny have been more central than what they maybe were for most of the games last year. But it's not just about it's not just about Mo. I mean he 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 scored a couple of fantastic goals yesterday. The composure he showed was it for the second goal when I, I think he beat the goal yeah. twice or three times. Yeah that was a so, so there's nothing there's nothing um there's nothing missing for for his game. And being able to give him a rest maybe at Burnley and bring him on later on would be helpful. And the only thing you were hoping for was that please don't pick up an injury. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's that's all that you that's that's what you want. I mean it, you're not going to play ninety minutes every game. And I think you get taken off against Everton and it, it didn't look best pleased, which was nice. You wouldn't yeah. you would you would hope that he wasn't best pleased. He doesn't yeah. look he doesn't look best pleased scoring goals. What 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 can you read into that? Well, I've seen him smile a fair bit. Yeah. Maybe it's, yeah, maybe maybe it's me that's smiling, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think he seems he doesn't seem too upset. And the good thing for me is he shares it with everybody. Yeah. 
that's the good thing about the team as well. The success they have is shared in amongst everybody. Yeah. When yeah. they when they score the goal, they're all they've all enjoyed it. And when they've lost one, then they're all hugely disappointed. So um as I say, it's a fantastic position we're in being top. It's no uh, it's no foregone conclusion that we're going to finish there. But by the I think we're going to be in for a a very uh, pleasant second half of the, the season. Well, we've got a big week coming up. Uh, Napoli, I take it you'll be going along to that one, Kenny? I would hope so. Uh, unless Medina wants me to do the bins, as you said. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll certainly be adding to the atmosphere, no doubt, of that one. And uh, you mentioned it earlier in the show that you expect a, a very noisy and, uh, and, and robust Anfield for that one. And Napoli will be in for uh, a tough game, shall we say. I mean, you said that you thought Liverpool would get through this group. Are you still as positive about that? Well, I and but what I, what I would say is Napoli were a lot better than what I thought they would be. I mean, in the away leg or the away game, uh, I thought they were excellent, Napoli, and they played really well against PSG. The goal they lost when they were three 0 up against Red Star Belgrade that could be their downfall. But I think uh, they won four 0 at the weekend, so. It's going to be a fantastic night, but it's going to be a difficult game as well. And uh, we've got a choice. We don't lose a goal, we only need one. If we lose a goal, we need to get minimum three, don't we? How would so? Let me ask you. Let me ask you. You're you're in that situation. Flip it. You're in charge of Napoli. What 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 tactics do you take? I so think they would. I think they go the same as what they played uh, in, in their home ground. Do you because think they're going to try and, home, you go to try and score home, or do you go and try and keep a clean sheet? Well, I think they would play the same way as what they played at home because at home it would be the same problem, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. A draw is okay, but you don't want to lose a goal. So yeah. I, would think, I would think that they've got the same problem as we've got. Do we go charging forward, try to get three? Do we remain cautious, try to get one, maybe at any time of the game? And as long as we don't lose a goal, we're always going to be a chance to score one. So both both managers have got uh, dilemmas, um, but I think on the night it'll be a, a it'll be a really difficult game. But I think we'll just have enough to see them off. Yeah, yeah. I I don't. I, yeah. I can't see, I can't see PSG doing anything other than winning in Belgrade. It's a tough place to go, though, Dad. The thing has been no, Paul. Paul, so, they've they started against they started against uh, PSG really well. Yeah. In Paris, lost the goal, then another one, and it just collapsed. And the same. No, I happened, get that. The it's different in Belgrade, though, isn't it? It's different. Yeah. There. But Paul, they're going to be under pressure in Belgrade as well. Red Star. Yeah. Yeah. So they and uh, PSG are are used to being the ones who've got to impose themselves in the game, and they'll be the ones that will be trying to do that. It's nothing that they're no that they're no used to. Yeah. So they'll go and they'll attack them, and they'll take the game to to, P, uh, to Red Star. So yeah. I think I think we need to get we need to obviously. 
they'll be confused and just go out and play the way that we can play. If we're going to go for the throats, then we're going for the throats. Don't get caught in between two. Well, let's hope we can progress through that one and get to the uh, the, the business stages, if you like, of the Champions League when everything resumes in the new year. The uh, Before that, though, we will have the Manchester United game. Now, we won't talk again on this podcast before that, but... Uh, what what are your thoughts ahead of that one, Kenny? Are you surprised by the? I mean, you mentioned it there. Man United are the only team that are probably not at about the level that they would have expected to be. Has that surprised you? Uh, I mean, there's been stuff. They have the highest wage bill in the league. They've spent huge money on big superstars, but it just doesn't seem to be clicking for our for our friends along the East Lanks Road. No, it doesn't seem to be a a happy place to work. I don't think. Uh, there seems to be. A lot of factions at war there, and but uh, one thing you can say about Jose Mourinho, uh, aside for the success he's had, he certainly knows how to set up a team. Know he lose a match, and uh, I think his first season here, the two games we had against Man U were were dire. Uh, but. You're allowed to play defensively if you want to play that way and set them up. And if he's all going to organise them, then they will be really organised. And we've got to overcome that. So he'll lay down the gauntlet, set himself up defensively, uh, I think, and just hope that he can get on the break. Last year at, at uh, Old Trafford, it um, tended to pick out um, Trent and he knocked a couple of long balls for the goalkeeper up to there. For Lukaku to go and challenge Rashford, got on the end of him and scored. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, he sits back and, and tries to get something happening against Trent with, with Lukaku going out to play on top of him and Rashford on that side. If he's been successful with it, I don't see why he would need to change it. And Paul, what are you expecting of that one? Uh, do you, I mean, much like your dad said there, we know that we know what Jose Mourinho will do. There'll be no surprise there. For all for all his, his successes as a coach, you know exactly the way he'll like set a team up. I mean, I know they were pretty flamboyant against Fulham yesterday, scored a few goals, but I don't think we'll be expecting anything other than a well-organised defensive, uh, defensive show from Man United trying to suppress Liverpool. And as your dad said there, try and pip one on the, on the break. That's what they'll be setting out for, surely. Yeah, nothing will make them happier than ending the the unbeaten run. Uh, so he'll you, you expect Man United they'll they'll come they'll uh, so they'll come into the game and they'll they'll uh, they'll play defensive, wait for mistakes, and then and then try and punish you. And, and um, it's it's uh, it's up to Liverpool then to to be able to break them down. That's and I think we've. I think we'll be patient in our approach. We won't go and try try and force the issue in the first 10, 15 minutes and leave ourselves exposed. I think we'll we'll wait it out, wait for our chance and, and trust the quality that we've got on the on the pitch to to score goals. Um and I think uh I think it's probably not gonna be the most enjoyable spectacle to watch. I think this the new Liverpool, if you like, a little bit more pragmatic and then uh, a defensive-minded Man United, it doesn't really play into to be a good spectacle. I think the game on uh, against Napoli will be a, a much more enjoyable game to watch with with a little bit more open. So 
Yeah, I, it's not a game I ever look forward to, if I'm honest. The Man United game is the one game. I can enjoy the derby. You know, that's not, I don't have that kind of, that that kind of feeling that against Everton that you have against Manchester United as a Liverpool fan. That's the game where you just want to try and, you just want to try and get the three points and move on. Uh, but there's not one part of those 90 minutes that you enjoy. I would have thought uh, they were quite similar to the Chelsea game when they came to Anfield a few years ago. Chelsea couldn't win the league, but they could still pause or damage mm. your chances of winning it. And I think that's what, that's what his frame of mind will be. Uh, they're top of the league, right? We can't go top, but we can make it difficult for them. To, to win or to finish top of the league yeah so I think that would be his philosophy yeah spoilers aye yeah and I think I think uh, it would be useful if there was some conversation in the public domain to, I know the punters maybe understand that but just to get it through to them that this would be this would be his objective yeah yeah and, it's, and, and it makes it a wee bit more relaxing for us as well the punters don't get too excited about us making five or six passes. Yeah, and it, also, it, yeah. also for us, it, it undermines for Easter a wee bit. And if they get a goal, then it's only like feeding the monster, isn't it? <laughs> they'll, they'll sit back there and they'll they'll defend in numbers. Um, they look really well organised, so it's important for us not to lose a goal over the next two games anyway. I mean, it's never good to lose a goal, but certainly these next two games, it's, uh, I think it's really important that we don't lose a goal. If we're 4-0 up, it's okay. Unless we get to about 4-0 up, then we're all right. (laughs) But it's, uh, yeah, it's, do you know what, you've got to, I'm more on the professional side, same as you, it's, I do admire teams that can defend well, you know, and I think that's something that Marino's teams have done. It's not, it maybe might, might not be the most pleasing on the eye for the, the neutral fan, if you like, or for, for fans of the team. But from, from kind of an actual coaching point of view, you've got to admire, you've got to admire how, how well he gets his teams defensively organized, as you said, that maybe that yeah. might not, you might not Paul, enjoy watching it as much, but you've got to you've got to give him some credit for what he does defensively. When he won the Champions League with Inter, mm. um, they were playing Barcelona. The two 0 up for the first leg. Barcelona went one 0 up. Um, they, I think Inter get a man sent off. I think they were one 0 up when they got a man sent off in the new camp. And I tell you, it's one of the best defensive displays I've seen. They go through two one in aggregate. And an unbelievable defensive yeah. performance. Yeah, but it's almost it. That did because if, if I think back, and I don't want to compare them, but um, if you think George Graham, he was a defensive-minded coach, wasn't he? Really, he he like the Arsenal back then were were about winning one nil and and keeping clean sheets was. You know, was it as frowned upon to play a defensive style back then 
as it is now, or is this kind of a new thing, really, about the style of football that you play? Oh, George Gray was successful. Yeah, but who's he been, to be fair? That's what I'm saying. As long as you're successful, Paul, it it doesn't really matter which way you play. Yeah. I'm just just wondering, I don't remember the media It's more pleasant on the eye. It's more pleasant on the eye to watch an attacking team. Yeah. play than what it is to, to get your success defensively yeah and Italy used to win World Cups doing it as well didn't they so, but it, for me it was just more not more about the way you know whether it was successful or not but what the the kind of media perception was because it, it seems to me it, it football in recent times has become as much about your style of play as the results. Um, and I just wondered if that was the case back, say, under the, the Arsenal days, under under George Graham, or whether whether it has become more, more important the way that you play stylistically in modern-day football. No, I think, uh, what, Man City champions... Haven't they? And before that, Leicester. Leicester were a different, were, a, were probably the last one that, that had more of a sound defensive base to go Oh, play. Conte. Conte right. as well at Chelsea, Dad, was, uh, they they defended first, didn't they? Yeah, I need Hazard. Yeah. But, I mean, everybody defends first, whether it's up in the other boats or whether it's in your yeah. own boats, you're still defending. But a lot of people defend, if they defend deeper, uh, yeah, it's a great success for them, and it doesn't matter which way they want to do it, they're still going to be successful, and they deserve great credit for the success. But it's certainly more attractive to see them play uh, attacking football, and I think with, with the likes of your Man Cities and the, the teams that are going well, Liverpool, uh, Tottenham, Arsenal, um, Chelsea. I mean, Chelsea did a number on Man City yesterday. They just had Hazard up front and they, they defended really well. But they got the 2-0 result. So, but I think because of the success Man City's had, the success Barca's had, I think there's a lot there's a lot more teams trying to play that positive attacking way and the more pleasant than the eye. But at the end of the day, you can only play the system of the hand that you've been given by the players that you have. And yeah. if the players you have can't play that way, then you're the one that's wrong. Try to get them to play that way. Yeah. Yeah. But there we go, Dad. There we go. We've uh, we've done an hour there. About. It seemed longer than that. Well, yeah. Yeah, it certainly does. Certainly does. But I've, I've missed the little chats. There it's the only go. time you answer your phone. Well, it's the only time you call me. Because it must be a free call, is it? (laughs) Yeah, Skype. Okay, so uh, that's it for us this week. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the insight again from uh, from Kenny and Paul. Thanks to them. Uh, Kenny was in at the club this week and you managed to uh, sign the competition winner. It was Steve Hoare and uh, you kindly signed the 1978 uh, memorabilia for him. And I think he's going to give it to his dad for a Christmas present. So hopefully we aren't ruining uh, his dad's uh, his dad's Christmas present by revealing this on air. But uh, thank you, Kenny, from, uh, from, from all that entered the competition. And I'm sure uh, Steve Hoare will be a delighted recipient of that prize 
That's it then for the King and AI this week. Uh, we do hope you've enjoyed the shows that we've done so far. Uh, we'll hope to squeeze in a couple more before Santa Claus comes to town. And uh, let's hope there's a couple of early gifts for us Liverpool fans with wins against Napoli and Manchester United to come before the next show. So all that remains is me to thank the fantastic Mr. Paul Dalgleish. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Eddie. And of course, the incredible insight once again from the legend that is Sir Kenny Dalgleish. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you, Edward. And we'll close the show out once again, as we always do, a few words from Kelly Cates. And uh, at this time of year, Christmas, where uh, you will be doing that bit more shopping than normally, Kelly has a, a little tip to how you can raise some extra funds for the Marina Dalglish Appeal. And they, they won't cost you a penny. Just go and do normal things that you do when you're buying your Christmas shopping. And uh, a few proceeds of that will go towards the Marina Dalglish Appeal. So here's Kelly with a few words on that. Thanks very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. There is one more thing that you could do, but it doesn't really require any effort. If you use Amazon, if you go to smile.amazon.co.uk, there's an option to select a charity. If you select the Marina Dalglish Appeal, then every time you make a purchase at Amazon, they will make a donation to the charity. All you have to do is use smile.amazon.co.uk as your website to buy things from Amazon. It should, in theory, be quite straightforward. Thanks very much again. Podcast Network.